0: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible leadership coach and author, Stephanie Michelle. Hello, Stephanie, and welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about loving friendships. And for those that don't know, Stephanie Michelle is a leadership coach for introverted entrepreneurs, aspiring authors, and those ready to claim their leadership power as they define it. Her impact has been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, on Good Morning Washington, and many other publications. She has been invited to speak at places like Harvard University, General Assembly, Venture Cafe Tokyo, and other leadership conferences. She has helped thousands of people celebrate their strengths and rise into leadership power through workshop coaching and her premier self-study program, the Confident Introvert Academy. She is the author of Confident Introvert, a practical guide to connecting with others at networking events and beyond. How are you today, Stephanie?
0: I'm doing so well. How are you?
1: I'm super good and I'm super excited. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about making friends and cultivating loving friendships. We've talked a lot on the podcast about our intimate relationships, our romantic relationships, things from passion to sex, but we haven't focused specifically on friendships just yet. And they're so important and so crucial but before we get into today's topic, I just want to ask you a little bit more about yourself because you focus on being a successful and confident introvert. So I have to ask, what brings you the energy and courage to speak so much in front of others and to appear on podcasts like this one?
0: That's a great question. Yes, yeah, so I do have a few strategies. I'll share one in a moment. But when it comes to being rooted in something greater than yourself... It's super energizing, right? It's it's one of those things where I talk a lot about networking in the work that I do and I really define that as making friends as an adult with other ambitious adults. That's basically all it is to me when you're, you know, networking quote unquote and doing it in a way that's actually really synergistic and beneficial to everyone involved and I'm a huge advocate of what I call having solitude sandwiches. Okay. So how I would describe that is, let's say, the contents of the sandwich, peanut butter, for example, is your activity. And then on either end, you have slices of bread or your solitude, where let's say if, if I'm doing something like speaking on a podcast or giving a talk or going to an event and wanting to be really present... And energized, then taking that time and care to have solitary time before and after to both build that energy up and allow for recalibration, reintegration into your own self, into your own energy after the fact.
1: I love that. Solitude sandwiches. And I'm curious what the length of time looks like for that sandwich. I also think alone time is really important for all of us, right? We all have to recharge our batteries every once in a while. Self-love is important. We have to take care of ourselves so that we do have the energy to serve our communities, serve our people. And I'm imagining like if you have a three-day conference, does that mean you need three days on either (laughs) end?
0: (laughs) I mean, it's really not an exact science. So, you know, bringing the metaphor home even more, it's like You could have Texas style toast with just like a little (laughs) dollop of like like a piece of salami in there, or you could literally have like a crepe-like bread just overflowing with Nutella. You know, it's really up to you what works best for you. And, you know, in a three-day conference, these are situations that we find ourselves in, whether it's a virtual conference or an in-person conference, and you can decide to have... Solitude on either end, maybe what's more realistic is, let's say, an entire evening the night before jet setting to a three day conference. And then when you get back, taking that entire evening off of socializing. But I'm also an advocate of taking time daily for yourself. You know, there's a concept, the daily three, two, one, that is also really helpful for sort of tuning back into yourself in order to be more present with others. So it's like, 30 minutes of of reading, 20 minutes of writing, and 10 minutes of meditation. So yeah, there are lots of different strategies to ensure that you're really present and available. And maybe at a three-day event, what that can look like is taking a moment to walk around the block of of the conference hall or or whatever it may be uh, after every speaker that you hear or after after every networking breakout.
1: I love that. So you have this 3-2-1 ratio. You mentioned turning it into basically 10 minutes. So 30 minutes reading, 20 minutes writing, 10 minutes meditation. I can also imagine kind of switching those around depending on your priorities. But I'm also wondering what are some other activities that you do recommend for managing our energy? What might we want to do during those bread times, as we say. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the bread times, I love it. Um, so one of the most simple things that you can do is sometimes these things are so simple that we don't do them because we think, no, it, it has to be more complicated, when really it doesn't. So that's like my lead-in to the breath of 444, which is as simple and straightforward as it sounds, where you're breathing in, ideally through your nose for four counts, You can do this in public. You can do this in a closed bathroom stall. You can be pretty inconspicuous with it, right? Mm -hmm. So then the breath in, then pausing that breath and just allowing the breath to sort of settle in your stomach, in your lungs. And then even allowing yourself to audibly sigh, exhale out of your mouth for another four counts and doing that, even doing that a total of three times, which is well under a minute, has such a profound impact on some of the jitters or the nerves that we can experience that, you know, you can experience before or even after doing something like giving a talk or being in a room that's buzzing with energy and hundreds of people in it.
1: So when you do the four, four, four breath, do you hold the top and the bottom or just the top?
0: I hold the top.
1: Oh, okay. That works too. Yeah, I've heard it as a box breathing also when you do four on the bottom too. But you're right that sometimes like, people get stressed out when they hold the breath for too long. So it is yeah. good to keep <laughs> it like, going.
0: And that can also be a stress response to stop breathing. So, you know, it's important to get that brain oxygenated and to re- be really mindful of it, especially if you find that that is a stress response that you have. <laughs>
1: So, I love this. You have the 321 rule, the 444. Four, four. Do we have any other number, number rules to bring into our I actually do. <laughs> you know, I don't know
0: if it's quite relevant yet. So, I'll kind of hold out on another technique that I have in case it fits into the conversation later.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I can't wait. We'll see. Thanks for teasing <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'd love to get a little bit more into love today. This is the Learn to Love podcast. And how do you yourself define love? And what to you makes a relationship loving?
0: Yeah. So when it comes to love, one of the key components that is so important, and right now I'm talking about, you know, Platonic friendship love, but this is actually applicable to pretty much every type of love. At the root of it is a desire to understand. And in addition to that desire to understand, where love is shared and created and made mutual is when that understanding is actually reached.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that phrase that intimacy is into me see. So, in other words, seeing into someone and truly trying to understand them. So, how do we bring that into our relationships? How do we increase that love via more desiring to understand another? And what do you think it takes to reach that core understanding?
0: A really key component of having that sense of deeply rooted, mutually understanding love is it it really starts internally. It starts with having a deep understanding of oneself through introspection and also redefining your relationship with being alone, where many of us, let's say, grew up with this idea that being alone was the same thing as being lonely or maybe even spent more time alone than, let's say, you really wanted to because of, let's say, this sort of fear of social interactions not going well. So, you know, really redefining that relationship with being in your own company as true solitude, bliss. Like, for example, you know, an example of this is the other day I'm in Miami right now, and I decided to... You know, I had some social activities going on on one day and another day, and then I had a day in between. So I decided to go over to Key Biscayne and just like walk the length of it, spending hours in my own company, walking along the beach, you know, kind of romantic (laughs) and really just appreciating like, oh, you know, my own company, my own thoughts. And then I had so much more. Well, I definitely had to sleep after all that walking in the sun, (laughs) but then the (laughs) next day... Being fully present for others, and you know, to go back to this, so how do you create understanding? Leaning into curiosity versus judgment, you know, and, and this is where the understanding can occur because oftentimes, you know, to your point of intimacy, into me I see, into you I see, whichever one that that is. There's an opportunity to, whenever there's something that we don't like about someone. It is such an opportunity to identify where that is a disowned aspect of ourselves. People are mirrors. We are mirrors. And, and when there's a trigger, you know, you may notice, let's say that you feel really secure and confident in like what's an example of this? In your eye color, and you think it's either great or it's fine. And then Someone makes a comment <laughs> about like, oh yeah, not a huge fan of your eye color, then you might feel like, oh, that was weird, but you probably won't spend days, hours, weeks, months, years thinking about that comment. I mean, it is odd, <laughs> but you know, just bear with me here. <laughs> like, because it wasn't something that was a pre-existing trigger. Or maybe the person you don't even know them, who maybe there were some random person on the street, and you're just like, huh, okay, moving on. Like that just it didn't stick because there wasn't something for it to stick to. So yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to friendships, being able to, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing and total perfection. You know, if you never have a conflict or a disagreement, then I would really question the depth that you've allowed yourself to go within the context of that friendship. But yeah, just being being aware of like, oh, what feels good. In conversation in, in this relationship and what feels triggering and taking full radical ownership of what feels triggering. And of course, if it's actually an unhealthy dynamic where it's abusive in any way, not saying that's tolerable, but it's those little things where someone makes a comment and it actually attaches to a fear or attaches, attaches to a pre-existing, a pre-existing thought that was already. There And they just kind of brought it to light. That's what our friendships have the opportunity to do for us. But when both people are curious, and with, when both people are really interested in personal growth and maintaining that understanding, that's where the opportunity is to connect even more deeply and be seen and be known.
1: Absolutely. I resonate with so many of the things that you're mentioning. I'll just repeat a few of these ideas for our listeners. Going back to what you said before, that love is a desire to understand. It just reminds me of this deep lesson that attention is the food of love, that love begins with our present moment, open-hearted, non-judgmental attention. And you also mentioned that people are mirrors and basically our experience with others are lessons, right? In order to learn about ourselves. And I also loved your emphasis on the huge difference between being alone and being lonely, or just aloneness and loneliness. And it's been an interesting time. It's been a very interesting time during this pandemic in the past two years. Um, but what's been interesting relating to this conversation is we've been a lot more isolated than before, many of us working from home for long periods of time. And you often hear what a struggle it is. And most of my introverted friends are like, that's quite nice, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And are really appreciating the uh, more time by themselves, while the extroverts tend to be the ones struggling the most. And I'm wondering what your advice is to those extroverts who do have a hard time being alone, being by themselves, uh, not being able to interact with as many people as they might be used to.
0: Again, I'll come back to that curiosity. So, for example, before everything shifted in 2020, I decided to do a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat over, over the holidays, into the new year, into 2020. So I, I brought in the new year in silence and did not do a countdown, didn't do host my usual, you know, party. And you know, everyone had different experiences in those 10 days of silence. And you know, one can assume that when there's the opportunity for stillness and really being present with one's thoughts, but beyond that, being present with one's emotions, where let's say that life was going on around us and maybe we were more connected, you know, extroverts and introverts to external stimuli and schedules and just kind of on this hamster wheel of, especially those of us in major cities, like, you know, I was in San Francisco. I know many people in New York during this time were sort of go, 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 go. And then, you know, maybe you got some rest at night, hopefully to sleep and then kind of do it all again the next day. This has been a really profound opportunity for people who typically would get their energy from socializing. And even, you know, I'll say as an introvert myself, I was in a go, 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 go mode much of the time in 2019, touring a workshop. And well, and then I was writing my book. It was pretty much either (laughs) like really go, 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 or really solitude one or the other. But all of us need balance. All of us need to slow down and also identify, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on thoughts, and different, you know, things that that come up in that realm. But especially with everything that's gone on in the world, you know, I don't even need to say it, but everyone knows what that means, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like all these events, all these world events that have unfolded over the last couple of years, it's brought an opportunity to address overwhelm. And you mentioned earlier, self-care solitude as a form of self-care and really being clear on, okay, who are you? What are your values? And are you currently living in alignment with those values? And one of the reasons why solitude can feel more like loneliness is when, let's say that there's a realization that someone has, maybe it's an extrovert that has this realization that, oh, I've been living this way and actually I value these things and the way that I've been living doesn't actually align with those values and that can be enough for people to want to shut the door on their alone time and be distracted and you know go down a rabbit hole of videos online or go to parties every single night and meet new people and have that be pretty much just you know on repeat so that was disrupted over the past couple of years and you know, I, I really do see it as an opportunity, and it's not always going to be an easy lesson <laughs> or one that's going to immediately present itself as a learning. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's actually something that I'd be curious to learn. Um, you know, your listeners, those that I identify as more extroverted, sort of how they've navigated. And you know, this is actually a perfect opportunity to bring up the value of mentorship this could be a coach, this could be therapy. And sometimes introspection, if it's not feeling productive, if it's not feeling, if it's feeling detrimental to one's wellness, then having guidance, trauma-informed guidance and facilitation of the thoughts and feelings that come up is actually something that I would highly recommend.
1: Absolutely. And it's so telling to me that your insights were sort of gained doing a meditation retreat because in spiritual communities, we do talk about the importance of what is sometimes referred to as the sacred pause. And I loved your emphasis and, and how you said that all of us need balance. All of us need to slow down and check in and check in on what, what really matters to us and whether or not we're living in line with our values. So this applies to everyone, of course, whether you're introverted, extroverted, a little bit of both is we still live in a high stress hustle kind of society. And it is especially important to slow down whether or not you want to socialize during that time or not.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'll just kind of interject this element of when meeting new people, making new friends. One thing that really helped me was having this intentionality of not you know, quote unquote, working in the room and, oh, everyone's going to know who I am by the time I leave this event. None of that. It was literally like, oh, I want to make one new friend and I'm be guided by that click. You know, when you feel like you're clicking with someone and to actually be fully present and focused on the person right in front of me to give that depth and opportunity to begin to emerge. Because Sometimes if you're kind of looking around the room, then the person in front of you, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they're not going to feel special or like they're getting attention. And that's not the greatest basis of a friendship. (laughs) So just treating people with respect, treating people with the gift of your presence. I know that can be construed in a super corny way, but it, it just, the reason I say it's because it matters.
1: I love that. Treating people with the gift of your presence. So I also appreciate you bringing up making new friends and this idea of making friends because I do think this is one of the biggest struggles for many people particularly as we enter into adulthood. I think it was really easy when we were students and we were surrounded by people with fellow interests, people that lived near us, and I do feel like as people get older in their years it just seems harder and harder to make friends especially when we see you know our dearest friends get married and then disappear forever <laughs> <laughs> and then become far too busy so how do you recommend just making new friends for the average adult
0: yes so this is you know whether you just moved to a new city whether you've been in the same city for years but you just haven't actually found that you've been clicking with people or making those aligned friendships let's actually take a cue From those school days when friendships were forged. So, you mentioned a few of these points where there was geographic proximity, where, you know, okay, people that live closer to you, let's say similarities in terms of maybe a similar age, you know, that matters less as you're older, of course. And also maybe similar interests. Maybe, let's say, in those school days, you made friends with people who were in choir and you, you both love to sing, or maybe you were in an art class and you were able to partner on a project and you're like, oh, this is actually, this is fun. So as an adult, my invitation is to do more things that are fun. So, you know, when it comes to networking, for example, I typically speak about this through a business lens, but the big newsflash is that when it comes to networking, AKA making friends as an adult, it can happen in any capacity. It could be at a rock climbing gym. It can be at, you know, going to, let's say a wine and paint night, if that's your style and being the person that says, hello, you know, there's, there's this fallacy that you necessarily need to have a whole script or, you know, I've had clients, for example, that will read up on the news of what happened that day and be ready. Like, okay, I can talk about these three topics. And while that can be helpful, it's much more powerful to allow things to unfold naturally and literally start with hello and really be present and tuned in with You know, kind of what comes up for them next, and of course, you know we have best practices conversation starters that I go into in confident introvert. But it really starts with being the friendly presence that you wish to also be met with.
1: I love that. You know, I love how I was like, "What do you? How do you recommend making new friends?" And then you said, "Start with hello." (laughs) which is key. And then I really love what you just said, be the friendly presence that you yourself want to meet, which is like a lovely little take on, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Many people think about finding friends rather than what can I do to be a good friend? Because something that does come up for a lot of folks is, you know, they maybe have friends from high school or college or other times in their life and they lose touch with them. Right. So usually there are people we can call on in our past to reconnect with. And I'm curious, what is your advice on staying in touch with people or perhaps even reconnecting with old friends?
0: Yeah, that's such a great point to bring up because especially with all the shifts that have made that have happened actually in the past couple of years in particular at a very accelerated rate has been people... Perhaps having different values on very controversial topics. Uh, maybe let's say people have moved to different parts of the country or even the world. And it's really been an opportunity to assess and reassess the friendships that you'd actually like to maintain. And I know that some of my clients, for example, have been really sort of surprised at the people who are in their lives now versus a couple of years ago sometimes acquaintances acquaintanceships get stronger and really you know once close friends actually begin to to drop off and and having this awareness especially let's say if there's a friend that has kind of distanced just knowing that everyone needs something a little bit different right now some people want more connection. They're really craving it. Some people are going through what can happen when you're in really intense solitude and really assessing your entire life, your purpose, and all of that. So, not taking for granted where someone's at, but also coming from the lens of being that friendly presence and being available for connection. And, you know, with someone that you've lost touch with, that you actually realize, wait that actually felt like a really nourishing friendship. And to, to really kind of, you know, you can, of course, just start with hi, but it can also help to call out the, the elephant in the room and to say something like, hey, you know, it's been a long time <laughs> since we've connected and and I actually miss talking with you. And then to also, I like to give a really clear call to action <laughs> of even in more informal conversations and to just say, would you like to do a video chat this week or next week you know and just like and make it clear because you know of course people can catch up over text and there can be long messages exchanged but you know there's nothing like being on a video call you know if that's possible or even elevating to voice notes with a friend i know sometimes let's say if you're in polar opposite time zones with a friend, then leaving a voice note can be a really nice sort of in-between to having that in real-time conversation take place.
1: Yeah, I do love that idea of taking it to the next level of whatever level that you're at. So if you aren't talking, a few texts here and there. If you're texting, leave a few voice messages. If you're voice messaging, switch to a video call. That can be a really wonderful way to deepen the connection or deepening the connection that you once had with another person. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier on reassessing friendships and thinking about how you mentioned having different values on controversial topics Mm. and thinking (laughs) about what friends we want to keep, like sorting between what friends we want to keep and what friends we want to stay with because... I do find that social media just creates difference, creates separation, just amplifies more extreme views that get more engagement that then works the algorithm. And then, you know, you have Democrats who don't want to be friends with their Republican people or the family reunion falling apart because of certain political divides and it is easy to see like one post from a friend and be like, oh, I don't agree with this. So I'm going to block, unfollow, unfriend. This isn't some something that or somebody that I want in my life. So... Just what is your take? Yeah, on deciding between say healthy ban- boundaries, this is not somebody I want to be friends with, versus like accepting the complexity and the multiplicity of human experience. And even if somebody has one idea that you disagree with, you can still be friends. It's okay.
0: <laughs> right, right. I so that's such a great point because the question that comes up is. If someone disagrees with you on one topic, does that mean that you need to forcefully cut them out of your life? And the short answer I would say is no, (laughs) that's not totally necessary. I mean, there are, it really depends on first being really clear with yourself around why is this a trigger? Why is there not space for someone who thinks differently about this topic? What are you making that mean about them? Or what would you make that mean about yourself if you were to associate with them? And maybe what that looks like is even not being reactive and necessarily unfriending someone because there's one totally unforgivable post, because those can also be taken out of context. Having grace in the age of cancel culture, it's really, it's easy. It's easy to get canceled. It really is, right? If, if someone were to share something let's say, and ma- also maybe they don't even have complete information, people's opinions on things can shift, right? So canceling a person, you know, on a broad scale, or even within your, you know, closer net social circle doesn't take into account personal growth. And also let's check the level of self-righteousness of the person doing the canceling, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, who's <laughs> to say that your opinion on this controversial topic is correct? And I mean, maybe it's correct for you, but then especially, you know, I used to live in San Francisco, you're in San Francisco, like this is common, right? To be in an echo chamber. And I know that there have been times when when I was hosting events and people would bring up certain Controversial topics. And I would actually forget. I'm like, oh, shoot, yeah, what, like maybe one or two of my friends here, they actually lean the other way on this topic and it, because you can get so used to, especially in these major cities, people thinking a certain way. And it's just kind of natural, right? Where people can gravitate towards people that think similarly to them. But when it comes to a truer human connection, it's not always totally rooted in in the mind and in you know different different beliefs there's an element of flexibility that exists where again we're getting curious and we're not judging and also entertaining the idea that oh maybe they could change their viewpoint and guess what maybe you could change your viewpoint too on a given topic and of course depending on the topic <laughs> there's there's this live and let live concept when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's sort of coming up now. And I know this is not a statement that can be applied to every single thing that's happened in the last few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but yeah, I think overall, there's certainly opportunity for more curiosity. And if you feel triggered, then yeah, sure, take some space. But there doesn't need to be this huge friend breakup that's you know, that's okay. Like, this is the new reality where we are no longer connected, especially be- because of a social media post. I think that maybe there could be a conversation that happens as well.
1: Yeah, I like your emphasis on flexibility because, you know, in my age, I'm not very old, but I want to say that in my age, I've noticed that there are ideas 10 years ago I was so resistant to. It. I was like, no way. I'm absolutely this, and I absolutely do not believe in this. And I'm amazed at different things that I've come around to and different ways that I've changed. And I think that flexibility is really important and keeping that dialogue open is really important. And I also love your emphasis on self-knowledge. We've already talked about it before, but you brought it in again in terms of when you do see that social media post or you hear that opinion expressed and you feel very triggered, feel very outraged. A lot of that could be manufactured outrage by the media or by politicians who love it when people are outraged about things because it's very effective. But you mentioned that self-knowledge of acknowledging our triggers, being non-reactive, having grace, and then just coming back to love and coming back to the friendship that we are trying to foster. So tying into this idea of self-knowledge and other things that we can do to better ourselves as being friends What are some things that I can do personally to just be a better friend to other people?
0: Yeah. So, when it comes to friendship, there are some friendships that exist where the touch points are few and far between, right? Where it's like you just sort of have maybe seasons of being more connected with a friend, or maybe they're the type of friends where you can touch base once a year and that feels like enough because maybe you were best friends in high school, but didn't have a falling out, but then you just kind of are living different lives. So, you know, being clear on what friendship means and look like to you and understanding the different gradients. And especially when it comes to geographic location, you know, if a friend moves away, if you're that friend that moved away, then there's going to be a readjustment period where let's say you had a weekly dinner out, Maybe what that becomes is a monthly Zoom call and also being on the same page by communicating. So I definitely advocate for what some people would actually label as over-communicating, where it's like, wait a second, are you just supposed to be on the same page? And whenever you, you are thinking about the person and you feel like you want to have a talk, then you just sort of casually go about it. You know, that's one way to go about friendships, but especially if you notice that there's a difference. If you notice that there's a difference in how often you're communicating, you know, whether that be because of situations that you're aware of, or maybe even internal situations within yourself, within them, just being the friend that reaches out from a place of curiosity, a place of openness, you know, as long as that's authentic, and to be able to even communicate something like, hey, I'm kind of going through something right now. And I may not be responsive for the next couple of weeks as I digest something that happens in my life, but then I, you know, what, maybe I do want to share it with you. So that's an example of a type of communication that can occur because sometimes what can happen is there's this emotional reaction to a change. So much has changed in the last couple of years that sometimes there's meaning making that happens, right? Where, oh, a friend that I used to see every week or every month, we haven't spoken in six months. What the heck? But then taking a step back and taking that radical ownership of wait, but have you reached out in the last six months? <laughs> you know, there could be an opportunity to just check in. And again, super transparency to say something along, along the lines of to, well to first ask, like, hey, how are you? And to and to sort of bridge that gap of the mystery and the not knowing. And allow yourself to align and be on the same page and understand where they're at articulating what your needs are in the friendship and being open to maybe being on different pages, but at least having an understanding and a knowing of what your contact within that friendship looks like. And, you know, in in my own life, I've had friends, where, yeah, we were in super steady contact and then it becomes a once a month thing or, you know, it's not on the calendar every month necessarily, but, and then we might not even speak for a year and then we can pick up where we left off. So really, especially during this time, as people are going through massive transformation, (laughs) like to put it lightly, People are going through massive transformations right now, uh, personally. And just having grace with that for yourself, taking time that you need for yourself. um, And also, yeah, having that grace with people that you've lost touch with and not, and, you know, assuming what's the best case scenario. You know, sometimes optimism gets a bad reputation when really it can paint the course of our life to actually assume the best intentions and come from that place within a friendship.
1: Yeah. So first off, I feel like your advice is very zen. <laughs> Reminds me of the concept <laughs> of, of beginner's mind, encouraging a level of curiosity, of openness, of non-judgmental attitude. I also love your emphasis on how communication is a two-way road. You know, some people might not feel like their friends aren't reaching out enough to them. And it's like, well, are you reaching out to your friends? And the assuming of good intentions is also just key for any relationship. It's something that's come up on the podcast a few times in intimate relationships is just to assume that we're all trying our best, right? Your partner's trying your best, your friend's trying their best. We've all struggled a lot in the past few years and it it doesn't hurt at any time to kind of reach out to somebody to check in with them. And I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier well, let me. I say this: Do we go? Do we get to your secret piece of advice from earlier yet?
0: <laughs> it hasn't been applicable yet. <laughs> we can, I could always just share it at a because I'm running of out of
1: questions here. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, running out of time. I should say. I always have more.
0: questions. Yeah, I mean, so basically, <laughs> you know, it has to do with unplugging from technology. So actually, hey, the segue could be the Zen thing. <laughs> Talking about yes, like oh, let's talk zen. about it.
1: Tell us, tell us.
0: Yeah. So the tech free code of one, one, one. These are, <laughs> these are some of the really core concepts um, from competent introvert where it, it has to do with a methodology. These are all methodologies that I live by, you know, they color my life. So for example, taking one hour per day to be off technology and not just looking back at your day and being like, Oh, isn't that cool? I just so happen to not be on technology for that one hour. No, this is about being intentional and you know you can use the daily three two one that thirty minutes of reading, twenty minutes of journaling, ten minutes of meditation as your tech free hour every day that's very intentional where you tell yourself it's a promise that you make to yourself that you keep, where you say, "I'm not going to engage with technology for this hour, and the hour starts now and then one day per week of not being on technology and 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 just to be clear, this isn't one hundred percent like no flexibility. Like you can't use your maps app to get to the hiking trail. Like it's not that (laughs) intense, but it's where for most of the day you are intentionally not using technology. So maybe you go on a hike and then you read a paper book and you're simply extra mindful of not engaging with technology where let's say on another day, it might be more automatic, more mindless. And then This is the one that is such a game changer one week out of the year being tech free. And this becomes easier when you're at a retreat. So for example, the silent Vipassana meditation retreat that I did was actually 10 days and you can't have technology. You can't have your phone or an alarm clock or or any of those things. So that does take the guesswork out of it. I really believe in the power of retreats to be able to just relax. And, you know, me, myself, I'm a planner and I tend to be the person hosting the event or, you know, facilitating different things. And it can feel really nice to allow yourself to have someone else create your schedule for a week, make your meals, and you you get to really be present and hang out with people. So that's the tech-free code of 111.
1: I love it. So one hour a day, one day a week, and then one week a year.
0: Mm -hmm, That's it.
1: Love it. Well, I appreciate that. And then the other thing I wanted to go back to was you mentioned networking, aka making friends as an adult. And I was like, "Hmm, okay, so to you, is there a difference between networking and making friends? So
0: to me, not really. (laughs) Because the way that our society is structured is that most people, the majority of people have jobs or they have companies or businesses and the vast majority of of adults that you'll be interacting with in any capacity are going to be more or less plugged in to the capitalistic society that we all exist in. So as long as you're making friends, you are also expanding your professional network at the same time.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it just reminds me, tying into this idea of friendship, of how important social connection, belonging, and being seen is important to our well-being, our health. And the measures and the research behind it is it's so abundant that social connection is important and it has to do also with like... The more friends you have, these are also business connections, potentially. You know, if you get out of a job, you can also reach out to your friends. So so too, your colleagues can also be a source of social engagement, social interaction, and can also be a source of wonderful friendships. So thank you so much, Stephanie Michelle, for coming on to the show. And I do have to finish by asking you the question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love?
0: What I wish everyone knew about love is that it's rooted in a desire to understand and meeting that desire. Yeah, I know I talked about that a little earlier, but I really, you know, once I really tapped into that and experienced that and learned that and practiced that, taught that, (laughs) it's been such a life
1: changer. Absolutely. Ah, so thank you so much for taking time and giving us this peanut butter in the bread sandwich (laughs) of your life. I I hope you have a good rest after this engaging interview. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you?
0: Yeah, so go on over to my website, com slash freebie. And that's where you can get a free chapter of my book, Confident Introvert. And it's the chapter called understand your personality before meeting others. So whether you are an introvert or you know for a fact that you interact with introverts, this is going to be a really useful chapter in creating and deepening those friendships.
1: Stephanie Michelle, ladies and gentlemen, author of The Confident Introvert, A Practical Guide to Connecting with Others at Networking Events and Beyond. Thank you for coming on to the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember many of the valuable lessons from today, including, I'm not gonna go through them, but I hope you remember the three two one rule, the four-four-four rule, and the one-one rule. <laughs> <laughs> And also, of course, that attention is the food of love. And love can be that desire to understand and connect to the core of who somebody is. If you want to become a better friend, start with yourself, understand your own triggers, remain curious, remain open, and start with being that friendly presence that you want to be met with. Remember that communication is a two way road. You can always reach out to any friends, past and present, and assume the best intentions in everyone. all simply trying our best. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zackbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Stephanie.
0: Thank you, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zackbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.